The Club Championship Show on OTB Sports. Brilliant game of hurling, edge your seat stuff, Tony Kelly, masterclass from start to finish. To win a Connacht Senior Championship is uh, it's special. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. So last night, the National Women's Soccer League in America and their Players Association released a joint report. It was a 125-page report which made allegations of mistreatment of players at a number of clubs in the NWSL. Among those named in the report is the Republic of Ireland manager Vera Powell with allegations of weight shaming stemming from her time as coach of the Houston Dash in 2018. Now Vera Powell denies these allegations. Our own Kathleen McNamee, presenter of the Koi Gig podcast, was on OTBAM this morning to explain exactly what the allegations are that have been made against Vera Powell. So specifically, what does it say? What are the uh, allegations made against Vera Powell? We hasten that these are allegations. Um, I mean, actually, sorry, one last bit of detail is that Vera Powell did, um, I, I heard to phrase this correctly, showed up for the interview but didn't cooperate with it. Is that how they're phrasing it? Yeah, so she showed up for the interview with the joint investigations team but chose not to go ahead with the interview but then did submit her own statement based on what she alle- what she believes the allegations against her were. The report doesn't include the, her full statement, it just includes sections of it. And obviously we will, as we talk through the story, we will also include what she said um, in response to, or well, in response to what she thought the allegations were, because obviously she didn't cooperate with the investigation, so she wasn't told directly by the team. Yeah, no, I, again, uh, so Vera Powell is actually due in to, um, to speak to Nathan uh, later on this week, so hopefully um, she'll continue to make herself available for that. The FAI aren't making any statement on the back of the, um, Mark McCadden has, has that on the back of the star this morning so far, but at some point they are going to have to make a statement because the story is too big for them not to make a statement. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to give Vera Powell an opportunity here, while uh, she didn't answer questions directly it seems she did issue a statement that full statement as you said is not included in it Mm -hmm. but there are many questions raised by this which we need answers to and that's that's going to be very interesting to see exactly what happens next here because you can't ignore this report it's very specific she's named multiple times and at the end of the report there's a blurb which says these are basically the allegations that this report is making again we hasten to add they are at the moment, allegations. She has not been given full opportunity to give her side of the story. And um, I think it would be important for Irish football that she comes out and gives her side of the story as early as possible to answer these. Let's go through exactly what's in the report. Yeah, so as you said, there is a section at the end which kind of sums up all the allegations against her. Um, It says that she shamed players for their weight and attempted to exert excessive control over their eating habits. Players credibly reported that Paul criticised players for their appearance, for example, saying that some players were too big while praising other players for losing weight with no apparent correlation to performance or health. She appeared to want to control and micromanage players' diets, exercise and exercise regimes, even when her weight loss directives were inconsistent with sports medicine best practice. For example, players reported that Paul discouraged them from eating fruit because of its sugar content. Players reported that Paul's comments affected a teammate struggling with an eating disorder. She appeared but refused to cooperate for an interview with the joint investigative team, but did provide a written denial of what she suspected the allegations against her were, including a statement that she never remarked on any player's appearance. So that's the general gist of all the allegations that are against Pau. As I said, she's mentioned a couple of times in the report. The report does go over the similar allegations a couple of times. So it's not that she's mentioned that many times and there's a load of different things. It does kind of tread the same water. 
Um, but yeah, she's one of a number of coaches mentioned in it. Yeah, that was Kathleen McNamee and Jared Gilroy on OTBAM this morning. The FAI still haven't released any statement around this. Uh, their AGM is taking place this evening, so no doubt we will hear from Jonathan Hill, the CEO, a little bit later this evening. And as Jer mentioned, Vera Powell is actually due on the show tomorrow night, uh, so we hope that that will still go ahead and we'll get an opportunity to speak with Vera Powell about these allegations. Uh, the investigation, it all stems from an article in The Athletic last year when accusations of sexual coercion were made against the then North Carolina Courage coach Paul Riley. That story was broke by Meg Linehan, who's senior writer with The Athletic, and Meg is with us now. Good evening, Meg. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, this is an incredibly extensive report. The investigators reached out to almost 800 current and former players. Over 100 people were interviewed. Final report extends to 125 pages. And within that, some frankly shocking, horrific revelations of sexual misconduct among several male coaches in the league. I do want to talk about that, but obviously starting from an Irish point of view, uh, Vera Powell's inclusion as one of the nine coaches named in the report has raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, We should point out that what Vera Powell is accused of is obviously of a much lesser scale than several of the other coaches. It all relates to her time as head coach of Houston Dash back in 2018 and primarily relates to comments about players' weight and the control that she had over players' lives. Right. And and that really, you know, just to kind of set the stage, obviously, there are a lot of layers to what we're talking about here. There are people like Paul Riley who are kind of at one end of the spectrum. And then from there, you, you do kind of honestly dial it back. But one of the things that I think is important to take away from this report is how behaviors from coaches about control over players' bodies enables other behaviors that are worse. And that's really what we have seen as part of the the systemic nature of this, right? When you read this report, Vera Powell, when when she comes into the report as a, a coach who has been alleged by players to have weight shamed and attempted to control exercise routines, it is part of this larger picture. She's not the only coach to have done this. Freed, Ben Steedy, and O.L. Rain, Paul Riley, there are multiple coaches here who are brought into this section, but it helps, I think, paint this larger picture of what has been normalized in the sport. And I think that's where a lot of the level of concern comes in. Normalized is an interesting word because a lot of people, I think, will read this and think a lot of what Vera Powell is accused of is quite normal for coaches. So in the report, it says players credibly reported that Powell criticised players for their appearance, for example, saying that some players were too big while praising other players for losing weight with no apparent correlation to performance or health. Powell appeared to want to control and micromanage players' diets and exercise regimes, even when her weight loss directives were inconsistent with sports medicine best practices. For example, players reported that Powell discouraged them from eating fruit because of its sugar content. Uh, And it goes on to say that players reported that Powell comments affected a teammate struggling with an eating disorder. A lot of people feel that professional athletes is part of their job to be in shape and that it's part of a coach's job to ensure that their players are in shape. So where does this overstep the mark? Right. So I think this is now the bigger question that we're going to start having is what is within a coach's power and how should coaches have the information of players' weight and players' performance? Obviously, there is a considerable amount of sports science around this, right? But what I think, to your point, overstepping the mark is, is it tied to performance? And is it uh, communicated to players in a professional manner? 
And so I think this is where the potential failings are from what players have reported about it in that it is not necessarily tied to how they're performing to games. It is based entirely on look and her own personal judgment. So that's, I think, where this is where we're going to start seeing maybe systemic changes, at least in the NWSL, about how player performance and thus diet, weight, all of this this kind of stuff, the data that goes into that is then communicated in a more professional manner and also one that takes into account players' mental health and any potential eating disorders as well. And there's nothing within this report to suggest that Vera Powell was responding to a strength and conditioning coach who had raised concerns. It, it, it sounds as though that the evidence given from the players is that this was somewhat erratic, that there were certain players that it would be pointed out to, whereas other players would be left alone. Uh, there were also concerns about how close Vera Powell and a lot of these coaches were with the players. And I guess it's a reflection maybe of the system and the lack of money within the system, that players are being housed and coaches are being housed in the same apartment block, uh, which gives coaches an awful lot of control, which most sports coaches want as much as they can. And that again, that Vera Powell at times may well have stepped over the mark. Yeah, I think, you know, again, this is this is part of a larger conversation that we're having in the league and and we've have been having in the league honestly since it started, right? Like, yes, the investigations have pushed this further, but I think there is this bigger question of investment and how much contact should coaches have and where those lines are blurred, right? Now, is Vera Powell the worst offender in terms of blurred lines? No, because again, like there are levels to this, but where I think the player's concern begins is when those boundaries start to get lowered, right? Whether that's through uh, the way that coaches are allowed to contact players, whether that's they're in social settings together, whether if there's alcohol involved, right? Or if there's some sort of perceived favoritism, happening as well right this is where it gets into a really big gray area that is full of nuance and we're not going to have this perfect black and white answer but i think based on everything that we have seen across the end of cell and maybe some of this is hindsight from players of things ringing alarm bells and saying the contact didn't feel okay to me right that this was maybe behavior that was normalized and acceptable within the league in 2018 and now looking at it from what we know and what we have put into place with anti-harassment policies that also protect against power imbalances and, and things of that nature, that maybe there was something that, that felt off there. And so it's not going to be some sort of like perfect, neat, tidy thing. This is players' lived experiences. And the report, I think, is honestly just trying to communicate that. The one question I think that Vera Powell will have to answer is around uh, one of the players struggling with an eating disorder and players reporting that her comments affected that player and what her response to that was. We we don't know fully what Vera Powell's response was, so she appeared in for an interview but then didn't cooperate with the investigative team. She provided a written denial of what she suspected were going to be the allegations. So obviously she knew that these allegations were out there and included in her statement were that she never remarked on any player's appearance. Do we know any more? Will that statement that Vera Powell presented, will that be released? We do, I, I think ultimately it would probably be up to her herself to, to determine if she she wants to release it publicly. I think what you're also pointing to is there is a section of this report 
saying that she acknowledged, and I'm, I'm going to quote this directly, acknowledged that at the end of the season, a player had raised concerns to Powell that her mistreatment had caused a teammate's eating disorder, but Powell denied any role and stated that the reporting player should have, quote, taken responsibility as an adult, end quote, by looking out for her teammate sooner. And I think that approach to a, a legitimate concern about a teammate, like that's not going to sit well with people, especially in terms of like what is expected from a leader in a team environment. And that's the bit of what happens next with Vera Powell and the Republic of Ireland, because as you're aware, uh, Vera Powell has made history this year. She has led the Republic of Ireland to a World Cup for the first time. That is the biggest question that you will have to answer, that when a player came and expressed concerns, that it doesn't appear to have been handled in the correct way. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, I do want to just kind of point out, like, all of these reports that we've gotten, because this is only this, this is the second report that we have now gotten about misconduct across the NWSL. And there is, I think, value to going through individual experiences, but also, I think, in light of the sum of what has happened in the NWSL is that there is this sense of when presented with a legitimate concern about behavior, that individuals in question and leaders in question never took that extra step to say, is a player being harmed or is a player at risk in this particular moment? And get it reported in a way that would have had it addressed in a in the most helpful manner. And so I think, yes, this is the biggest question of this section of if you have a player coming to you with a legitimate concern that a teammate is being negatively impacted by feedback that is apparently random and untied to performance that is actively causing a health issue, that that is not brought to the the appropriate, you know, the next step up the ladder, that is a legitimate question that needs to be answered. Uh, as I say, Vera Powell will hopefully be on the show tomorrow and we can talk to Vera Powell and ask her all these questions on the show tomorrow night. This is a story that has been told many times before, it feels, in American sport. Uh, we've watched Athlete Day, we have spoken to the people around US gymnastics, and as you say, like the one thing that is common is that it's not as if people didn't know. People had made complaints. People had made reports. People in authority knew about this and time and time again didn't act. And it does feel from reading through this a very extensive report, particularly around somebody like Paul Riley, that even when complaints were made, by and large, they seem to be ignored. Right. And that, I think, you know, with my original story at The Athletic, it, yes, it was absolutely about two former players who were making an incredibly powerful choice to go on the record and tell their experiences of what they had lived through. But the other part of the article that was so important, too, was how the institutions around them, the team, the league, U.S. soccer, had failed them in their attempt to report, especially following 2021. Players had essentially mobilized against the league. Uh, to ensure that an anti-harassment policy was put into place. And the NWSL Players Association came in to help on that effort. And that was announced outside of, of anything else. They got it done before collective bargaining agreement for a new labor agreement because that's how important it was to the players to be protected, which makes sense, obviously. But the, yeah, there is this sense of every single reporting mechanism, people are pointing fingers at each other, there are gaps in the system, no one actually knows who's finally responsible even when things are reported, investigated, coaches who were terminated, those reasons were not being shared publicly, uh, mostly. And so when the next person who wanted to hire a coach down the line was trying to figure out why they 
you know, were moving on from their previous role, they never got an answer. So the systemic part, there's obviously going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of process changes, not just at the NWSL level, but also at the U.S. soccer level to ensure that these are being reported. They're talking about an entire restructuring of the the coaching program at U.S. soccer right now. So that way, instead of a, a red light system to flag people who are committing misconduct, instead to take it to like a green light system so the people who are good are allowed to continue coaching so it's a much more proactive approach to this we've got a a lot of projects going on here in the u.s that are just incredibly massive undertakings as a result of everything that's happened in the nwsl through its history Uh, this report does focus in on on three particular interviews and paul riley is the focus of that article that you wrote uh, a couple of years back. For people in this country who maybe don't know who Paul Riley was, how, how big a figure was he in U.S. football? I mean, he was a, a huge figure. He was one of the most winning coaches in the NWSL. He had, at one point, been his name had been lobbed up as a candidate for the U.S. Women's National Team. We have found out why he was never actually considered for the role as part of these investigative reports but you know he had won multiple championships with with multiple teams across multiple leagues he had a tremendous amount of power not just within the professional women's landscape but he also had a very successful youth club as well that he then also sold for millions of dollars right there's a a huge profit in youth soccer here in america so there was a real level of power that we were dealing with. And when I was reporting the story, obviously we had these two players who were willing to be named, but I also spoke to more than a dozen players who wanted to remain anonymous because they still felt that Paul Riley, no matter what the consequences of this article were, that he would still be able to impact their careers, whether they were retired, coaching, still playing, out of soccer entirely, which I think really does speak to his role in the sport at that time. In this report, the first line when the joint investigative team released their findings on Paul Riley is very clear. Paul Riley engaged in sexual misconduct towards Sinead Farrelly and Mana Shim and goes into quite horrifying detail as to the abuse suffered by those two players and the way he ruled at the various clubs he was at. And as you say, he was allowed to move from club to club despite there being allegations all along the way. Where is Paul Riley now and reading these accusations, I assume that criminal charges have to follow. I mean, no criminal charges have been pressed there. You know, we do have statute of limitations here. Um, Also, like every I think every player who has been in these reports also has to make that decision for themselves. But I mean, Paul Riley has basically removed himself from the spotlight a bit. He refused to participate in this joint investigation. Obviously, when we reached out to him for our original article, he sent us uh, a written statement responding to the list of questions that we had sent him. Um, But generally, you know, he he has a a child um, that we are aware of and he he's active on Twitter a little bit. And that's about all we know of him currently. And what about those who worked around him at the clubs at that time? Because a lot of this was happening uh, on team buses, uh, around team hotels, almost an understanding that he could do whatever the hell he wanted, whenever he wanted. Yeah, I mean, there is a conclusion from the report, too, that Paul Riley had surrounded himself with coaches that he you know, would acquire and then who would basically, if not enable his behavior, then at least tolerate it. Um, 
a lot of the former assistant coaches within his sphere have moved on to other roles. Like we have attempted to reach out to assistant coaches who have moved into other uh, roles within soccer, generally within youth soccer. And that again has been kind of one of the main things that we've discussed out of all the NWSL reporting is that the movement between the youth game and the pro game uh, that abusers are still lifted up out of the youth system into the pro system. But then also after people are terminated from their roles within pro soccer, they are then able to basically still re-enter that youth system because the reasons for termination are not shared. So yeah, there's still a lot, a lot to dig into here. And most of these coaches were selling the dream. Again, going back to the gymnastics comparison, it was to become mm-hmm. an Olympian. This is to be a professional player. And so many of the players who spoke talked about, well, my destiny was in his hands and I yes. needed to keep him happy. Have there been any attempts to change that? Is it possible to change that philosophy within these clubs? I mean, I think that is a, a fantastic question because I think so much of what we have seen over the years in this sport is that there is this sense of players should just be grateful that they are even able to play. And that's been at really every level of the women's game here in the U.S. from every version of the pro league that's existed to the U.S. women's national team when they asked for equal pay, right? That is such a defining characteristic of the space and so you lump that in with ambition to play on the national team and you're in the league right and it's so easy to take advantage of that and to also use it essentially as a tool for for further grooming you'll only make it on the national team if i'm your coach i'll get you there right and undoing a lot of that culture is a really 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 hard project but what i think i am really heartened by is U.S. soccer has formed a committee coming out of their own investigative report. And that participant safety committee is headed by Mana Shim, one of the players who spoke to me for this original story. So this is a player who has lived it herself, who is now working directly within the system to try and fix it. And that to me is one of the most encouraging things that I try to cling to on a daily basis. It does seem that whether it's the American game or even in the WSL in England, uh, that there's almost an acceptance of relationships between male coaches and players. And not all of them are coercion. Not all of them are what we've read about in this report, but that there is just a general acceptance that this is going to happen. Yeah. And I think that that's been a culture here too. A lot of players have married former college head coaches, right? Like that's, that's a whole generation of players essentially here. So I don't know if there is a good solution for this moving forward, but, you know, we also had an investigation here in the U.S. into Portland Thorns head coach for this past season, Rian Wilkinson, who just led the team to a championship and who self-reported not even a relationship with a player, but just communication between her and a player where feelings were expressed, nothing was acted upon. The investigation cleared her of any rule infractions, but she still resigned because right at the moment the culture of the NWL really does not allow for this and so I think it's going to be a really uncomfortable conversation still moving forward but there will I think be a bit of a culture shift where it the, the future generations maybe are not going to want to have that mingling because fundamentally there is a power imbalance between a staff member and a player. 
There is a Irish-born coach named in this as well. Christy Holly uh, was born yes. in Derry and has been coaching in the NWSL. Uh, who's Christy Holly? Christy Holly started basically as a volunteer with a team formerly known as Sky Blue FC, and then became head coach there before moving to Racing Louisville. Um, his big story here is uh, Aaron Simon has alleged extreme inappropriate uh, sexual misconduct between. Chrissy Holly and herself in terms of inappropriate contact, you know, I mean, just, I almost don't want to get into the levels of detail. They are in both reports. Um, but Chrissy Holly, once the team found out in, in Louisville about his behavior, they did terminate him. We found out in this joint investigative report that there was a severance package uh, delivered to him upon his termination and that. They signed a non-disclosure and non-disparagement agreement with him that basically would have also banned the team from even volunteering the information to law enforcement. Um, so he's definitely one of the the main figures that has been a focus of both this report and the Sally Yates report in terms of sexual misconduct and a, a number of other uh, issues that definitely crossed the line in terms of the anti-harassment policy. Uh, Racing Louisville, who he was head coach with, um, have issued a lengthy statement, as many of the clubs have, and Houston Dash have apologised for Vera Powell's conduct as well. The long-term responsibility or uh, impact on on these clubs, what what do you think that will be? So, I mean, currently we already have two clubs actually up for sale as part of this entire process. Both Portland and the Chicago Red Stars are now up for sale after... Their owners have basically been found to have not necessarily done the right thing in some form or another via these reports. Um, And they feel as if they need to move on in order for these clubs to survive, which I think is the right decision from both. Uh, But ultimately, you know, there's there's a few different parts that really need to happen. There's obviously just adapting policies and making them stronger. Right. And that's going to be the really easy part. The harder part is going to be regaining trust of players, of fans, of really everyone who's kind of watched this play out. And the other part is going to be this bigger culture shift that we've really been talking about this whole time of finding those behaviors that have been normalized and figuring out how you undo some of that damage of educating players to know what crosses the line. I mean, one of the, I think, really concerning things in both reports is that Chicago conducted a study of its own players and the majority of the team reported behaviors that crossed the line into abuse and misconduct and 70% of them didn't even know that. So there is a much bigger cultural and education part here that is going to be a much longer term project than just fixing some documents. And from talking to players over recent days and weeks, do you get the sense from them that they feel now if they do raise their voice that they'll be listened to because it is clear from the report that one of the issues was that a player would make a complaint and would drag on so long and they'd be given no feedback that if they were talking to a teammate who had a similar issue they'd say well I I made my complaint and nothing ever happened about it do, do the players feel more empowered because of this I think more yes are is the league 100% of the way there in terms of having reporting mechanisms that are going to be trusted every single time absolutely not I mean even the joint investigation report says we had players who did not trust this process. 
And that, again, is this larger cultural thing of we have seen for a decade that reports are not handled correctly. So why would we trust you to do this one right? And that is going to be a long process of fixing it. But I think that there are both more and better reporting mechanisms following the events of the past year and a half or so in terms of anonymous reporting. I think the NWSL Players Association has played a really large role in this in terms of feeling like they have someone that is there to look out for their interests and to protect players if they do report. And I think what has been a really important shift for players too is this sense that if they do go public, if they put their name on it, that there will not be retaliation, that they will be protected. And there was a new player in this most recent report, Kaylee Kurtz, who reported Paul Riley's behavior in North Carolina, who basically went through that exact process of not trusting that her report would be treated well, and then deciding to come forward during this investigation because she would feel more protected. So improvement, yes. Truly all the way there yet? Absolutely not. This report is so vast. It does almost feel unfair on Vera Pau that she is in a report alongside a Paul Riley, a Rory Dames, a Christy Holly, essentially sex offenders who have done the most horrific things that is outlined in detail, page after page after page, when the accusation against Vera Pau is that her tone was wrong, she dealt with things wrong, but certainly what she's accused of is, is shouldn't be on the same page as what they've been accused of. Yeah, I think it is really important to talk about it with nuance, right? And understanding that there are multiple layers. At the same time, I think, you know, if we believe the players who spoke to the investigation that there was a player at the heart of this who was truly impacted by her role as a coach and by the comments that she made, um, and that there is a player at the end of the day who was harmed. And it, to be fair, to your point, it's not at the same level, but that there is, again, this bigger systemic issue and that players were not protected. So is weight shaming the same as sexual misconduct? No, but does it have maybe some of the exact same risks mm. in terms of players' mental health and safety? Yes. So I think that's where the nuance part is really important. And it is really hard to boil that down if you're in a conversation on Twitter or, you know, just having this kind of what I think we keep seeing is that like there's just this rundown of all the coaches, right, who are named and there's no discussion of who did what and, and kind of the scale and scope of everything that happened. But fundamentally, there is this kind of shared approach to misconduct, I think, in terms of that there were no repercussions, that there were impacts to player health and safety, that it does make sense to have weight shaming and these other behaviors still investigated as part of this overall project within the NWSL. Does there need to be a a much bigger conversation around how female players are coached as opposed to male players around the language that is used around what is acceptable and what is not acceptable? I mean, I think we just have to have a, a conversation about coaching in general, because also, I, I mean, I, I've been thinking this entire time, like, what are men expected to put up with because of kind of societal norms, right? Like, are these same things happening in men's sports? Because I think we have seen it even at, in MLS here, uh, a former head coach had made a ton of comments about players' weight and fitness and everything, and that did not go over well, right? Like, that was a reason 
that he, he was relieved of his duties. So why would we accept certain behaviors for men, but not certain behaviors for women, right? And the same, on the same side, I think a lot of people want to simplify this down to, well, we need more female coaches in this game. And that's not an answer either. So I think there are parts, both from a player point of view and from a coach point of view of what behavior do we want to consider acceptable for a coach as a leader of a team and that it should it should be acceptable regardless of gender. Uh, Meg, uh, brilliant to talk to you and thanks for all the detail you've added in there. And as I say, we hopefully will talk to Vera Powell on the show tomorrow night. Uh, Meg Linehan there from The Athletic. 